Section one of Round the Red Lamp. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Round the Red Lamp by Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. Section one The Preface being an extract from a long and animated correspondence with a friend in america i quite recognize the force of your objection to that an invalid or a woman in weak health would get no good from stories which attempt to treat some features of medical life with a certain amount of realism if you deal with this life at all however and if you are anxious to make your doctor something more than marionettes it is quite essential that you should paint the darker side since it is that which is principally presented to the surgeon or physician he sees many beautiful things it is true fortitude and heroism love and self-sacrifice but they are all called forth as our nobler qualities are always called forth by bitter sorrow and trial one cannot write of medical life and be merry over it then why write of it you may ask if a subject is painful why treat it at all i answer that it is in the province of fiction to treat painful things as well as cheerful ones the story which whiles away a weary hour fulfils an obviously good purpose but not more so i hold than that which helps to emphasize the graver side of life a tale which may startle the reader out of his usual grooves of thought and shocks him into seriousness plays the part of the alternative and tonic in medicine bitter to the taste but bracing in the result there are a few stories in this little collection which might have such an effect and i have so far shared in your feeling that i have reserved them from serial publication in book form the reader can see that they are medical stories and can if he or she be so minded avoid them yours very truly a conan doyle p s you ask about the red lamp it is the usual sign of the general practitioner in england round the red lamp section one behind the times my first interview with dr james winter was under dramatic circumstances it occurred at two in the morning in the bedroom of an old country house i kicked him twice on the white waistcoat and knocked off his gold spectacles while he with the aid of a female accomplice stifled my angry cries in a flannel petticoat and thrust me into a warm bath i am told that one of my parents who happened to be present remarked in a whisper that there was nothing the matter with my lungs i cannot recall how dr winter looked at the time for i had other things to think of but his description of my own appearance is far from flattering a fluffy head a body like a trussed goose very bandy legs and feet with the soles turned inwards these are the main items which he can remember from this time onwards the epochs of my life were the periodical assaults which dr winter made upon me he vaccinated me he cut me for an abscess he blistered me for mumps it was a world of peace and he the one dark cloud that threatened but at last there came a time of real illness a time when i lay for months together inside my wickerwork basket bed and then it was that i learned that a hard face could relax that those country-made creaking boots could steal very gently to a bedside and that that rough voice could thin into a whisper when it spoke to a sick child 
and now the child himself is a medical man and yet dr winter is the same as ever i can see no change since i first can remember him save that perhaps the brindled hair is a trifle whiter and the huge shoulders a little more bowed he is a very tall man though he loses a couple of inches from his stoop that big back of his has curved itself over sick beds until it has set in that shape his face is of a walnut brown and tells of long winter drives over bleak country roads with the wind and the rain in his teeth it looks smooth at a little distance but as you approach him you see that it is shot with innumerable fine wrinkles like last year's apple they are hardly to be seen when he is in repose but when he laughs his face breaks like a starred glass and you realize then that though he looks old he must be older than he looks how old that is i could never discover i have often tried to find out and have struck his stream as high up as george the fourth and even the regency but without ever getting quite to the source his mind must have been open to impressions very early but it must also have closed early for the politics of the day have little interest for him while he is fiercely excited about questions which are entirely prehistoric he shakes his head when he speaks of the first reform bill and expresses grave doubts as to its wisdom and i have heard him when he was warmed by a glass of wine say bitter things about robert peel and his abandoning of the corn laws the death of that statesman brought the history of england to a definite close and dr winter refers to everything which had happened since then as to an insignificant anticlimax. but it was only when i had myself become a medical man that i was able to appreciate how entirely he is a survival of a past generation he had learned his medicine under the obsolete and forgotten system by which a youth was apprenticed to a surgeon in the days when the study of anatomy was often approached through a violated grave his views upon his own profession are even more reactionary than in politics fifty years have brought him little and deprived him of less vaccination was well within the teaching of his youth though i think he has a secret preference for inoculation bleeding he would practise freely but for public opinion chloroform he regards as a dangerous innovation and he always clicks with his tongue when it is mentioned he has even been known to say vain things about Leonek and refer to the stethoscope as a new-fangled french toy he carries one in his hat out of deference to the expectations of his patients but he is very hard of hearing so that it makes little difference whether he uses it or not he reads as a duty his weekly medical paper so that he has a general idea as to the advance of modern science he always persists in looking upon it as a huge and rather ludicrous experiment the germ theory of disease set him chuckling for a long time and his favorite joke in the sick room was to say shut the door or the germs will be getting in as to the darwinian theory it struck him as being the crowning joke of the century the children in the nursery and the ancestors in the stable he would cry and laugh the tears out of his eyes he is so very much behind the day that occasionally as things moved round their usual circle he finds himself to his bewilderment in the front of fashion dietetic treatment for example had been much in vogue in his youth and he has more practical knowledge of it than any one whom i have met massage too was familiar to him when it was new to our generation he had been trained also at a time when instruments were in a rudimentary state and when men learned to trust more to their own fingers he has a model surgical hand muscular in the palm tapering in the fingers with an eye at the end of each 
I shall not easily forget how Dr. Patterson and I cut Sir John Sirwell, the county member, and were unable to find the stone. It was a horrible moment. Both our careers were at stake. And then it was that Dr. Winter, whom we had asked out of courtesy to be present, introduced into the wound a finger which seemed to our excited senses to be about nine inches long, and hooked out the stone at the end of it. It's always well to bring one in your waistcoat pocket, said he with a chuckle, but I suppose you youngsters are above all that. We made him president of our branch of the British Medical Association, but he resigned after the first meeting. The young men are too much for me, he said. I don't understand what they're talking about. Yet his patients do very well. He has the healing touch, that magnetic thing which defies explanation or analysis, but which is a very evident fact none the less. His mere presence leaves the patient with more hopefulness and vitality. The sight of disease affects him as dust does a careful housewife. It makes him angry and impatient. Tut, tut, this will never do, he cries as he takes over a new case. He would shoo death out of the room as though he were an intrusive hen. But when the intruder refuses to be dislodged, when the blood moves more slowly and the eyes grow dimmer, then it is that Dr. Winter is of more avail than all the drugs in his surgery. Dying folk cling to his hand as if the presence of his bulk and vigour gives them more courage to face the change. And that kindly, wind-beaten face has been the last earthly impression which many a sufferer has carried into the unknown. When Dr. Patterson and I, both of us young, energetic and up-to-date, settled in the district, we were most cordially received by the old doctor, who would have been only too happy to be relieved of some of his patients. The patients themselves, however, followed their own inclinations, which is a reprehensible way that patients have, so that we remained neglected with our modern instruments and our latest alkaloids, while he was serving out senna and calomel to all the countryside. We both of us loved the old fellow, but at the same time, in the privacy of our own intimate conversations, we could not help commenting upon this deplorable lack of judgment. It's all very well for the poorer people, said Patterson. But after all, the educated classes have a right to expect that their medical men will know the difference between a mitral murmur and a bronchitic rail. It's the judicial frame of mind, not the sympathetic, which is the essential one. I thoroughly agreed with Patterson in what he said. It happened, however, that very shortly afterwards the epidemic of influenza broke out, and we were all worked to death. One morning I met Patterson on my round, and found him looking rather pale and fagged out. He made the same remark about me. I was, in fact, feeling far from well, and I lay upon the sofa all the afternoon, with a splitting headache and pains in every joint. As evening closed in, I could no longer disguise the fact that the scourge was upon me, and I felt that I should have medical advice without delay. It was of Patterson, naturally, that I thought, but somehow the idea of him had suddenly become quite repugnant to me. I thought of his cold, critical attitude, of his endless questions, of his tests and his tappings. I wanted something more soothing, something more genial. Mrs Hudson, I said to my housekeeper, would you kindly run along to old Dr Winter and tell him that I should be obliged to him if he would step round? She was back with an answer presently. Dr Winter will come round in an hour or so, sir, but he has just been called in to attend Dr Patterson. End of section one.